Hello and welcome to the Bulletin with UBS on Monocle 24. Each week the sharpest minds and freshest thinkers in finance take you beyond the numbers and hype, right to the heart of the big issues of the day. Now, if you're a regular listener to this show, you'll be well aware that UBS is interested in addressing the big questions that shape our world. To help best answer them, they sought out a number of Nobel laureates in the economic sciences to ask them to share insights, discuss their research, and open their ever-inquiring minds. This week, we're hearing from one of these laureates, Canadian-American David Card, Professor of Economics at the University of California, Berkeley. Card won the 2021 Nobel Prize for his contributions in the field of labour economics, notably his work on minimum wages. Today, David's here to explain what drives wage inequality within the labour market. It's a great pleasure to welcome the great David Card to the programme. Many aspiring economists, when studying, are introduced to the more macro elements of their desired field studying areas like interest rates, unemployment, GDP and fiscal and monetary policy. Labour economics, however, zeroes in on some of the most tangible and relatable branches of the field. Card was awarded that prize in 2021 for his contributions to the analysis of causal relationships. Here, he makes the case for why labour economics deserves more praise and how it can be used to answer specific questions about what's happening within our economies and why. Here he is. Many schools don't even have a course in labor economics, only one. And so most people, when they're studying economics, they know that there's a labor market and they know there's wages and things, but it's not a part of what they're studying. They're studying interest rates and unemployment and things like that, macroeconomics. And most people think that's what economics is. But the reason why we're important, I think, is because uh, we, in the 1980s, started using large microdata sets to study people and we um, focus on questions about how people are succeeding or failing in the labor market. If you can break through to the students and say, we're talking about people, a fairly large number of students find that interesting, whereas they find macroeconomics kind of difficult to understand and very abstract. And so if you say I'm studying why people are poor or why people are unemployed or who gets married or um, whether it's valuable to have more education, those kind of questions are pretty salient. And because of this large data sets and the focus on causal questions, we're a little bit more scientific. And that has influenced the rest of economics to try and move in that direction. There are many economists who are much more philosophically oriented, um, big picture about you know grand things like, is the economy functioning well or something. What labor economists do is very straightforward in a way, very simple questions like, does this training program really work? Um, is it better to go to a school with small classes or big classes? How much difference does that make? Labor economists are a little different than other economists in that they don't usually work on the question of what should be done. They usually work much more on the question of what is being done and how do we analyze that. Card has tackled a wide range of issues and topics from minimum wage, wage inequalities and income distribution to school segregation gender equality, migration and immigration, and labour contracts, to name but a few. Wage inequality, though, has become one of his most researched topics. The kind of question that I work on is really about wage inequality, how much one person earns per hour versus somebody else. That isn't what most uh, popular press 
is thinking about when they think about inequality. They're thinking about the top 2% of the population and how much wealth they have and their yachts and all that kind of stuff. That's not really what wage inequality is studying because that's such a small subset of people. Now, arguably, they have a lot of control in the economy <laughs> and a lot of resources. But so wage inequality is more driven by things like uh, for education is a huge component. Um, so the differences between high and low educated people, for instance, in the U.S. are fairly high. Uh, they widened a huge amount in the 1980s. They gradually increased in the 90s and 2000s and, and subsequent years, but not much beyond where they got to by the end of the 90s. There was an amazing change in the workforce in terms of the ratio of wages of somebody with a university degree to somebody with just a high school diploma. And that really exploded in the 1980s. That was driven in large part by changes in the types of jobs that are available for people with, educa with higher education and not. But there's other factors as well, like loss of unionization jobs. And um, to some extent, the uh, minimum wage puts a fairly strong lower bound on the wages of people with less education. For instance, I did a study of German wage inequality, and that was fairly stable until the mid-1990s. And then the economy went through a very difficult decade or so from, say, 1994 to 2004. Wage inequality expanded. Less educated people had a very hard time finding work. There, it seemed like uh, it was driven to some extent by better job opportunities for uh, better educated workers, but also by a breakdown of the old-fashioned collective bargaining system in Germany. A lot of the firms basically pulled out of the collective bargains and started to offer lower wages, uh, and that really affected less educated workers in certain parts of the country. Another factor that's pretty important is gender. Um, women get paid less than men on average. There has been some progress in that dimension. The gender gap in wages was much larger in the 60s and 70s, and now is getting to a, a, a smaller level, it's still present. Um, a third is the racial wage gap. It, it widened to some extent in the 80s and for reasons that are not entirely clear. Um, right now in the United States, um, black women do pretty well relative to white women. Black men do worse than women relative to white men. So the big problem in the labor market for racial wage gaps is probably for men. Not to say there isn't some problems for women, but it's much worse for men. And that might be partially affected by uh, problems with the criminal justice system. So especially less educated uh, men in the United States, a lot of them have some experience with the criminal justice system, and that basically rules out a lot of better jobs. And that's a particular problem for minority men. A factor that's pretty interesting is location. Wages are just enormously higher in some places than others. Um, and some of that seems to be um, something about certain places where employers want to locate and are willing to pay higher wages there. A final factor that people don't really know how to totally quantify are factors that are associated with things like um, mathematical ability, uh, ambition, uh, <laughs> Willingness to work hard to earn extra money because you just like having money. So, <laughs> versus you know want, want to read books and write a great novel or something. So there's a lot of differences in people, um, and probably those account for some portion of wage inequality. And whether that's uh, something we could fix or something we could address, I think is an interesting question. Um, 
that's certainly a component uh, that's always present. A recent study on wage equality done by CARD focused on Brazil specifically. Not only is it a geographic location where race relations are of high importance to most citizens, the country also has a rich data set to work with. Almost all uh, Brazilians are concerned about issues of racial equality, especially these days. Luckily, Brazil has pretty high quality data available and it allows you to look at the hiring choices of individual employers. And so you can follow over time uh, what happens to um, white and non-white employees in a given place and how they're hired or not by different employers. And what you see is a kind of systematic pattern where um, firms that tend to pay higher wages um, tend to hire fewer non-white workers. And that uh, pattern holds up even when you look at the composition of all of the employees around them. If you think of a firm that's in a certain place, there's a certain fraction of employees that they could hire from in the nearby pool. And you can characterize uh, how far um, out of alignment is their workforce with the pool of available workers. And what you see is that degree of misalignment is the strongest for the highest paying firms. We showed that that difference in hiring patterns accounts for 20 to 30% of the racial wage gap in Brazil. Quotas are extremely controversial, and so that would not be a, a thing that you could easily implement. There is some use of something close to quotas in higher education admissions in Brazil. <laughs> One reason why it's so controversial is the non-white population in Brazil is um, fairly highly mixed race. And so the line between who's white and who's non-white is pretty uh, hard to distinguish. Uh, it makes it a little bit harder to say, I'm going to have a rule that you have to hire non or admit non-whites. There's a famous example in Brazil that everybody knows about, about two twins, and one was admitted as a non-white and one was admitted as a white. Um, so that's an example of a problem that arises Card also researched minimum wage and its impact on the labour force and economy. While he acknowledges it's often a hot-button topic for many, he sees value in continuing the conversation and letting the research speak for itself. Suppose you raise the minimum wage and there's some reduction in employment. That doesn't actually mean that you shouldn't raise the minimum wage. Um, for instance, most economists believe that if you have taxes on the economy, um, there'll be some negative effects. Some people will work less or people will buy fewer products. And yet no one thinks, well, as a result of that, we should have zero taxes. Just because there's some uh, possible negative effects of, of something doesn't mean that the right decision is one way or the other. So I, I've always felt it was r rather inappropriate to judge whether a minimum wage is good or bad just on the basis of the employment effects. But that was a way that the... Um, People who were opposed to any kind of regulation of the market um, often made their argument. There's a lot of um, sides to the story. The labor market works differently than people think or were taught a long time ago. Employers have wage setting power and we need to sort of adjust the models that we use in economics. And I would say the reception of that idea took much longer and it really only got started probably around 2010. And so maybe in the last 10 years, there's been some movement in that area. And now I think there's starting to be quite a bit of momentum for um, 
creating more general models of the way the labour market works. Looking ahead, Card would like to continue this more localised approach. The specific locations may change, but many areas, particularly those rural ones, struggle with the same issues. I've been working a lot on locational wage differences recently. In particular, trying to understand what it is about um, certain areas of the United States, for instance, where it seems like people have relatively modest education levels, they have pretty limited job opportunities, um, and that cycle seems to be repeating. So the children growing up there are not doing particularly well. Some of those areas are particularly been affected by the uh, opioid problem. Um, they're affected by um, lack of opportunities for kids to get good education and so on. And trying to understand why that is, what's wrong with those regions? Why don't employers invest there? The same problem is present in almost every other country. So there's parts of every country where it seems like things are not going well. And we don't really understand why. If we could make a little bit of progress there, it would really help us to understand the way the labor market and, and you know, society is functioning. So that, that's probably the main thing I'm going to be working on the next couple of years. Extraordinary insights from the brilliant Nobel Prize winning economist David Card there. Wrapping up this very special episode of The Bulletin with UBS here on Monocle 24. You can find out more and delve into the archive of past conversations with other remarkable laureates at monocle.com. And to read more from and about Card, and to discover how Nobel perspectives shape the UBS worldview, head to ubs.com forward slash Nobel. This is The Bulletin with UBS on Monocle 24. I'm Tom Edwards. Thanks for listening. Listener.